I believe that if we are honest with ourselves, that the most fascinating problem in the world is who am I? Welcome to Behind the Mind. Join Meredith Krenmar as she chats one-on-one with intriguing, inspirational and imaginative people from Australia and across the globe. In this series of candid interviews, she seeks to discover the zigzagging journeys, pivotal events, daring risks and momentous moments that fundamentally helped form the way they think and work today. I am so keen for you to learn more about today's guest. He's a best-selling travel author, has over 20 years marketing agency experience, has started, sold, and exited a shopper marketing agency. He's a proud dog dad to the beautiful Shane, and he's also my business partner and friend. Today on Behind the Mind, you're going to learn more about the very special Gareth Brock. I want to start today by asking you about what... I think is probably a really pivotal event in your life um, where things did quite go to plan. Now, you failed your HSC, yet you were the top student. What happened? I'm not too sure, to be honest. Even to this day, it was, you know, as you said, I was sort of probably the top three of my year, my entire schooling career. I was a bit of a geek, I guess you could say. And then it came to doing my HSC and I say I failed, you know, everyone thinks that if you, if you don't get over 50 or above, um, it's a fail. And it was, it was 47 and it was such a shock, not just to me, but everyone around me. I think everyone had really high expectations of what I was going to get and it just didn't eventuate. It just somehow how did it feel in that moment was it an envelope because you and i are around the same age i don't know it was the first year oh god i can't remember i don't know if it was the first year to do it online or do it via phone where you get an answer or something like that i think you had to dial in and it read the number out to you i mean it was a long time ago and i wasn't at home i went to a friend's place to do it around the corner and um, her mum was like a head science teacher at a quite a prestigious private school in Sydney. And I heard it through the phone and I just got off the phone and they were like, how did you do? And I was just speechless. Did you cry? No, I didn't cry. I was just really disappointed, to be honest. And then I had to do, I call it the walk of shame home and walk through the front door where your parents are like, what did you get? And I was like, I don't want to tell you. Like, And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I failed. And they're like, you couldn't have. I was like, I did. So, yeah. What, and then what, my room. Yeah. What, I was going to say, what were the series yeah. of events? Was it go to your room? Was it go to Macca's, drown yourself and all you can drink refills? <laughs> no, I literally just went to my room. I was just dumbfounded. But, How know. did you pick yourself back up? Oh, look, I think, you know, there was an investigation that was done because it was obviously completely weird that I could be so successful during my schooling career and then fail the pivotal moment at the end of it. And so the school put in through an investigation, but they just couldn't figure it out. So I think it was probably why it was such a pivotal moment for me is it was probably the first time you've just got to learn that not everything's going to go right and you can try your best at every single thing. But sometimes the world can feel it against you and you've just got to pick yourself up and move forward and you know and that's really tough when there's so much emphasis placed on that score for the rest of your life and i think the only way i was able to pick myself up is i knew i wanted to be in advertising or or that sort of realm i had done 
work experience being a solicitor and it just it was a bit too boring for me and my mum thankfully just started researching what else I could do and there was this course called MAP which was marketing advertising and PR at um, TAFE and she was like maybe you could consider this but you know you get sort of in your head that you you have to go to uni because you need to go to uni to have a career and um, I was a bit hesitant to begin with but then I got my submission in I think the last five minutes I had to drive over to Seaforth and drop it in the letterbox basically and yeah and that's sort of how my career began through that course. Yeah which is ironic that you know something not so positive can turn out to be you know a massive door opener because correct me if I'm wrong you started your first agency in business at age 24 and I'm gathering hadn't done it before at that age no but i think i think with the whole tafe thing it gave me a year to really understand what i wanted to do so while i was doing a course there was three disciplines and you know as well as i would know pr is very different to marketing and advertising so marketing is very client side advertising's more agency side of what we do and, and pr is very different you know so i think doing that course really made me realize that's what i want to do I blitzed it, you know, I was top of the year at, um, at that particular, um, you know, so I was, I was back on form again, I guess you could say, and I got offered jobs off the back of that. So one of our teachers, Vicky, she worked for EMI Records and she was like, I want to give you a job. And so I didn't take it because I still wanted to go to university and basically the marks I got through that got me back into it. So it was just a, you know. A bit of a sidestep. Bit of a shimmy, but really sounds like it gave you some real clear direction on what you wanted to do. A huge amount of clear direction because I think when I got to uni, I knew I wanted to succeed at that. I wasn't going to fail again. And my cousin and one of my best friends were two years ahead of me. And they were in there last year and they were like, we wish we'd set up our uni career. Everyone goes through their stages of understanding uni and you know getting passes in the first semester and then you work your way up but i wanted i set a goal for myself to get a, a credit average across uni and you should have sort of did it opposite where some people do like a broader degree and then they do something very skills-based whereas you did something quite skills-based and you're like latched onto that and then you know went and got that broader sort of beefiness of the degree so in some ways it was a sidestep but actually probably post-uni. Did people think it was risky for you starting a business at 24, not having lots of knowledge or was it naivety? You know, it's pretty plucky. I was probably pretty quiet about it, to be honest. Like I wasn't screaming from the rift. I think a lot of people when they start business, they don't like to talk about it. There's so many friends that are starting, even I think one of my cousins started a grooming business and everyone's like, I'm about to start something, but I'm not going to talk about it because they don't want to talk about it because the more they talk about it, the more people know. It's, it's like when someone's wanting to lose weight. You know how <laughs> yeah. people now put it out to Facebook saying, I'm doing this because- For accountability. Yeah, it's accountability. But I think when people are starting businesses, they don't really... Um, oh, it's excruciating. Hard. It's excruciating, I think, if you tell too much. Because I remember when I first started a business, people were always asking me, so who are you working with? And this was for like the first six months. I was like, I was like no one. You yeah. know, So, you know, I can understand why you probably wanted to fly a little bit under the radar. Well, I think, you know, I'd already been in the industry for a while. So I didn't go straight from uni to starting my own business. So mm. I 
I started, I got a graduate program with a company that's still around called Secure Parking. It was called a marketing graduation, one year or whatever, but it was really a sales role. So what they had me doing was knocking on office doors around North Sydney, asking people if they wanted parking. And, you know, <laughs> when you're... Glamorous, glamorous. You're, you're quite young. I was working at Optus at the time and I was full-time, but and I kept that full-time role, but I did a night shift instead of a day shift because I wanted something to fall back on. And within a week, I just knew that this was not the, the career that I wanted. And I think... The person that gets you or interviews you for a role is really important because I forget what his name was. The guy that interviewed me, he was someone you really looked up to and, you know, and I probably took the job more so from him and what I would learn from him. But then on my first day, he'd already resigned, you know, so I think that was a huge learning for me. And I probably in hindsight knew that it wasn't for me, but when you're that age, you just try and grab whatever you can being a graduate because it's it's a really tough market. You've got thousands of people going to the job market at the same time. So after I, let's say I failed at that um, graduate program. I, I One went, week, one week uh, selling parking door to door. I went back to Optus because I was working full time at Optus while I was doing uni. And then I somehow got a job in an advertising agency. It was the most informal interview I've ever had. They were called D&D Advertising and they did motor vehicle and recruitment type of advertising. But I was just really pleased to get an account executive role, you know, and the, the money was terrible. And then they quickly merged in with another agency and um, which was a bigger one. And then I left and went to, you know, I got my years, you know, I was promoted very quickly to account manager. And yeah, I think I ended up going to a more of a production house, which, you know, taught me a lot of other skills. So I think... When I started my own company, it was, I'd already been in agency land and stuff like that. And I was probably right place, right time, if I'm honest. And I had business partners that wanted to support me and they were my largest supplier at that time. So they knew that if I left, they were leaving quite a lot of work on on the table. So yeah, so I left and started something with them. And who did you bring along for the ride? And, you know, what were the key things on, you know, I think if you look back. I think if I look back on it now, I started hiring a desk in someone else's office, which was a friend of a friend's office because they had a graphic designer there, you know, but as the sort of business grew, you knew it was growing by how much stuff you'd move with you to the next office space. So. The first move was a couple of manila folders in my laptop. The next one, we had to get a van because we had lots of stuff that we produced and a bit of a showroom. And then the next one became a truck and stuff like that. So you could see the business was growing by how much stuff you had to move. So, Do you remember what your first invoice was? Oh, I don't know, actually. I think it was something to do with Malibu and I was doing their car apps or something, you know. I was talking to someone the other day about car apps and how expensive they used to be. They used to be more expensive than the car itself. (laughs) But now it's it's just done. Yeah, I love these stories because I just think that, you know, it's easy to see. It's that whole thing in that 10 years overnight success story kind of thing when in reality, you know, you sold car parking spaces in North Sydney and then had an opportunity. And I think, I honestly think that it's humble to say that you were right place, right time, but also you got yourself in the right place and the right time. And you also said yes, and you made it happen. 
I think I'd proven myself, not just to those who I worked with, but our suppliers as well. And that's why they invested in me to, to start something. So, I mean, you know, and I, I know you talk about this a lot, that when you started because you were like, just always waiting for the phone to ring. And oh. it's very lonely, you know? Yeah, pretend, pretending the one person that's, you know, sitting next to you, then pretending that you're not available and you call them back an hour to make it sound like you're super busy, which in yeah. hindsight, I think there's so much more vulnerable. Like you can be a lot more vulnerable about the situation that you're in now to people. Like this whole bravado and fake it till you make it, I think it's a lot better to just sort of own it, to be like, because you're only in that startup phase, which for quite a short time, you know, and yeah. but you don't you don't know that at the time. But I think if I could go back and tell myself some advice, it would be like just own the fact that you're making up that you have a receptionist when it's literally the person next to you going, "Oh my god, they've called, they've called. Do you want to take it?" And really, you're dying to speak to them. There's so many smokes and mirrors. I remember after having after starting, it was a company called I Create for about a year. The SCW Group became quite interested in sort of buying us out, but I didn't want them to buy us out. I really wanted them to sort of help us grow. You know, that's if you bring partners on board, it's not to just acquire you. It's there has to be something in it for you as well. A good part of being part of the SCW group was they had amazing offices. I never moved into their offices because to rent a car space in their office space was more than the rent I was paying. I think it was like twelve and a half grand a year or something at Darling Park um, near Darling Harbour. So I was like, no, 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 the business just can't sustain that sort of money at the moment. So I stayed in my little tiny shoebox in Surrey Hills. But I would do meetings on the 28th floor of their massive boardroom and new clients would come in and you talk about the CEO coming in and with his helicopter and they would just see the views of the harbour and just be like, wow, this agency is really going. It's doing really well. <laughs> and I would pack up my laptop and go back to my shoebox by myself in Surrey Hills. Um, so it is, it's about smokes and mirrors and you know that you can deliver the work. It's more, it's, you know how they say, don't judge a book by its cover. I think if someone had come to my little shoebox in Surrey Hills, they might not have given me a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And times have changed now. You've got co-working spaces and things like that. But I think you failed your HSE. You started a business at 24 and then you did something completely different. Like one thing that I've always admired about you and when I look at everything that you've achieved, which is, you know, there's loads of highs and, you know, always there's always lows with highs, but you never sit still, Gareth. What inspired you to start a pet travel business? Was it just the big U-turn that you did after Evocative? No, I look, it was a, an idea that had been floating around my head for quite some time and you can't do both. It was just something I couldn't do on the side. So I did make the call to, to leave Evocative, which I merged I create with, to start a business called Pet Check-In. And I think the idea came from I was going to one of my best friend's wedding in Zurich. And, you know, when you go overseas, you typically – going for a four-week period, you're spending a lot on flights, so you, you may as well sort of thing. But I had a dog, Ebony, at the time, and, you know, typically she would be looked after by family and friends. They always used to love having her, but I didn't want to burden someone for four weeks. So I started looking into boarding facilities and where I could leave her, and it was just a minefield, and they're like your children, so it's quite a nervous 
decision. So I ended up just going, look, I'll just create a roster for everyone so they're not burdened with her for so long. But then I went, if I'm in this position, a lot of other people in this position too. So it needs to change. And I had been working in or volunteering in dog shelters as well. And I was like, I started looking at the category in the industry and it was worth so many millions of dollars. I think it was at that time worth $950 million. And I was just like, maybe I could just get part of that, even if it's like percent, and use the profits to go back into animal charities. Because one of the key insights is rightly or wrongly around Christmas, that's when these animal shelters are flooded with animals that people don't want because they want to go on holiday, you know? And I'm sure that that has changed probably quite a lot now. Dogs are, and animals are seen much more as the family. So it was a purpose-based business and yeah. it was build a booking system that were mystery shopped or they, they were prior accredita- accredited, which I built a like a hundred point criteria based on global best practice. I had a mystery shop agency called Howard, which were part of the SPW group, go into those um, facilities, which I paid for. And they had to score over 95% to actually get on the site. And so it was all about how do you book with ease and confidence that, you know, part of the job's already been done. Yeah. So look, it was a big sidestep. Again, when you go into business, there's lots of learnings. The market just wasn't ready for it. People wanted it, like the uh, pet owners wanted it, as well as the industry. But it just, there were so many learnings I got off the back of it, back in agency land, you know, but the business is still there, but, you know. Let me guess, some of these kennels and catteries and things probably only just had an email address, you know, maybe a phone number to book them in. So the whole premise was right. There are better options now, which are more tech driven. But the problem was, is that you couldn't probably marry the two. You could marry the two. I think a lot of them are mum and dad operators, you know, so so you're providing a service to help their business, which is basically most pet owners leave it to the last minute, you know, so they're not pre-planned. They really should be, as soon as they book their flights, they should be booking their pets into the accommodation so they've got more choice. But they don't. So what happens is they leave it to the last minute, there's a phone number, and it goes through to Telstra Home Messages, you know? Yeah. So it's very unprofessional. They never call you back either. So, and th- I mean, th- we're talking about 10 years ago. So this was about trying to, you know, my background is shopper marketing. So it's that path to purchase, not just mm-hmm. from a product perspective, but services as well. So how do you reduce those pain points or how do you influence that purchase? And what did you learn through all of that? Like how does it show, like what I love about when you tell these through, like you have to practice acceptance of situations, don't you? But you've got yeah. such, and hindsight is always a wonderful thing, but how how do you learn from these things? That, how does it show up? I think that's a really interesting question. No one's asked me that before, but it comes back to what we were talking about earlier on. So you know how we were talking about when people start businesses, they don't like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, and what that means is they don't test the market either. So they're very scared about going and speaking to stakeholders because they don't want to be told, no, that's a terrible idea. So the learning is have confidence to actually go out and speak to people who are the users of your product or service, whether they're a pet owner or whether they're the the business that you're trying to sell it to, to try and get learnings. Because if I'd gone out and actually spoken, and I'd spoken with a couple, but not a lot, you know, sort of thing, you you try and keep it so close to your chest because you also don't want someone stealing your idea. No. I think the learning would be to let go a little bit of your idea because other people around can give you a lot more insights than you can, you know, sort of thing. And I think that's probably the biggest learning that yeah. I had. It was also a learning 
really not to take shit from people as well. You know, I think my career has given me a really strong backbone. Very early on, I had some terrible bosses. That's why I left to create my own agency at 24 because it's um, I've had some good ones and, and some bad ones. One of the situations was there was a one of the biggest players within the pet boarding market. They had the URL that I wanted. You know, that was my business name. I did a course called um, KPI, which is about becoming a key person of influence in your field. And I've spoken, I just ran into this lady and she knew the, the owners in the family. And they were lovely, met out and, and met them, but you always get passed up to someone else. And this guy, he was very abrasive and they weren't doing anything with this URL. And I just needed ownership and I was happy to pay for it. It was just trying to play hardball. And I just said, that's fine. I, I don't want it anymore. And I emailed the owner who I'd met and I just said, I'm not into doing business with people that are about screwing around that little person, you know? And I, and I said, so you, you can keep your domain and I'm going to change the name of my business. And yeah. he was just so apologetic and he was like, no, 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 we'll give it to you. I can't believe you've gone through that sort of thing. So I think sometimes it's really hard to speak up as that little person to the, to the bigger person, but you've got to back yourself as well. You know, business is about being human. Totally. And I think that whole notion of letting things out into the universe and being able to iterate and move on kind of thing, like Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, she's got this book called Big Magic. And she talks about like ideas, how if you don't act on something, it'll go through you and go to someone else. But also knowing that ideas are not uh, they're, they're not, um, you know, there's not a limit on them. So getting it out into the universe, testing, talking to people out about it might have allowed you to iterate in a different way and move on sort of quickly. But that said, I know you have written books as well. This is, you, you've got so many zigzags to you and I have to give you your plug for having a best selling pet travel book. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, who would have thought that I would have bought, uh, written a travel book, if not two? And I think it's opportunities again. So I, I wrote the first book as part of the course I was doing around that key person of influence. So it was about the five Ps. Everyone loves the five Ps and one of them was publish. And Andrew Griffiths, who was our author mentor as part of the course, was he, he called it the thud factor. So if you went into a meeting and you threw your book down on a table, it's much more impressive than a business card. It's like you're the expert on that subject. And I purely wrote it for the course. They had a 30,000 word challenge. They had to write 30,000 words in um, 30 days, I think it was. But the, the structure was really good on how to, how to write a book, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, there's talk about zigzagging journeys, up and downs. And I think, I know you've come back from a sabbatical recently. You know, it's not a holiday. It's a sabbatical. Yeah, They're two right. different things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Why the sabbatical? Why now? You know, I think I probably know the reason, but you know, it's probably a lot of people who are similar age to you and I who maybe could do with one. Why? Yeah. What? Where did you get from it? I think everyone needs to be able to put their hand up and say they need time out. So, you know, I've always been an overachiever and a pleaser, you know, so it's post COVID. COVID was tough to try and get through, not just personally, but from a business perspective. And we did fine you know we did okay you know but a lot, a lot of other people were hurting but it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be taking time out and I think the challenge for me is I had a four-week holiday which didn't really go to plan and then came back into the business 
and had to hit the ground running when I didn't feel rested. And I think rest is super important. I just knew that four weeks wasn't going to do it for me. I, I just needed to, to take a proper break um, from the business. Okay, I'm going to tell you exactly how that played out because, you know, obviously you and I are business partners. We were having some particularly, uh, we were on the phone with Steph on a on a Teams call, who's one of our the leadership team, and we were sort of talking about, you know, things being, you know, difficult situations and how we're navigating them and things like that. And I remember doing, I said, well, and this sounds like very yappy clapping. Like, I was like, okay, we just want to finish this. Let's all just say something that we think is going actually really well, because there's, there's so many highs, there's so many lows. There's always like this balance. And, you know, Steph and I said something, and I remember I went to you and you just said, Honestly, I can't think of anything. And yeah. honestly, at that moment in time, I knew that there was something going on. And then when I got a missed call from you on a Saturday afternoon, I was like, uh, I knew, I, I knew. I didn't know it was going to be a sabbatical, but I knew it had come to. So I'm pleased that sometimes asking, I think, confronting questions and uh, on answering them honestly, like you did, like if you hadn't honestly answered it at that moment and said, I just can't think of anything that's going well, you probably wouldn't have gone on the sabbatical. I agree. I think you do need a reflection point to, to go, I just need a break and that's okay. It was, yeah, a break I really needed and I was very grateful for the time off. But um, I think if I look at so many people around me, they're doing the same thing. While I'm not a celebrity, you look at a lot of other celebrities, they're just changing their careers. They're, they're leaving their big jobs on TV and stuff like that because, yeah, they just want to do something different, you know? And for me, it wasn't I wanted to do something different. I just needed a break. Yeah, a, de- a decent pause and stop the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to, you know, I feel like I've been on the go pushing through for the last 20 years. So I've never had a break because when I, let's say I had a break, but I started another business, you know, yeah. I started the, the, the pet business. So, yeah. And it was interesting whether I want, like, I think COVID definitely accelerated. Garrison, you're in Melbourne. So I think that, you know, that clinging on for such a long time, that resilience of just the lock, the ongoing lockdown and things like that. Like, a, you can only hypo- you could, it's, it's hard to hypothesize. Like, you probably would have needed a sabbatical anyway. But, you know, my sense was that it's like collective traumatic event. Because as you said, it's like, you know, things were actually fine for you. You know, you had a job, you had a business, like on the surface, everything's like tick, 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 but it's, I'm still not okay, sort of thing. And I think that takes like massive guts. You've always said it's okay not to be okay. Because I think we all uh, sort of, running the treadmill and we it's we feel very guilty because you know on the surface we do have amazing lives you know we've got you know great relationships we've got a great business great clients we do great work but sometimes it's just not enough sometimes you just need a bit of a break and it's absolutely okay to to say that you know and i think for us we preach about mental health within our business with our team because it's really important but you have to lead by example at the same time. And even though it was very unknown for both of us and, and how it was going to work, it was how the team actually reacted to it that was really quite heartwarming because it made them feel that they could also put their hand up or just say, yeah, I'm struggling as well and I need a bit of a break. And it sort of normalized it. And I think we can do lots of stuff around mental health, but unless we're actually looking after ourselves and we doing that publicly and not being afraid to talk about it then it, it it's hard for people 
to report into their boss and actually talk about it. You know, I take from all of this is that you don't need a reason to need to have a rest or have a break. And I follow this thing called the nap ministry and they talk a lot about how we should take more naps, basically. And this whole productivity is wrapped up in capitalism, which we're all guilty of, myself included. But I think that asking for some time out for whatever, like there, there doesn't need to be this breakdown event because potentially taking a step out might stop that from happening kind of thing. So it's a real inspiration. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you've got to take a step out, not just from work, but you've got to look at your personal life as well. And I think post-COVID, everyone wanted your time. So saying to you before, like when you were working and you started working remotely, it was very hard to switch off. And you've got to go, you're the only one that can really control that. And I think I was living in a three-story house, but it was quite open plan. So my desk was on the middle floor and I'd be upstairs watching TV and I would just hear my emails dinging. Ding. And, and it was the whole Pavlov and his dogs. So I would react by picking up my phone next to me and start reading an email. And then I just, three months into COVID, I was like, I'm working like 18 hours a day. I'm exhausted. But that was because of me. That wasn't because people are sending me emails. It was because I needed to make changes and the changes I made were, I think, I remember I got a, a desk lamp and that was that I would turn it on when I got to my desk and I would turn it off when I left for the day. And I also would mute my computer so I wouldn't have that dinging and salivate and, <laughs> and, uh, and read and read an email. Um, it's it's an endorphin start, rush every time it goes off, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you have to start moderating yourself um, because no one else is going to do it for you. You're at home. So, yeah, yeah. I love Everything that you've spoken to me about, about how you took Gareth, like you practice acceptance, but you also are in charge of your own destiny kind of thing. Like I think that it takes a lot to pick yourself back up again, to be honest with yourself and others when things aren't working and put your hand up. And I think it's what makes you, you and so much more than I think people always see all these amazing things, but they don't often realize that I know everybody talks about the graft and all that sort of stuff, but they don't see that there's actually a human beneath us who has had their ups and downs. But I think that what I see with you, that when you have these downs, you do try to take control of that situation as well. You're action orientated and whether that's completely starting a new book, a new book, a new business and pet travel, launching an agency, you know, picking yourself back up from, you know, a failure of the HSC. It's, I think, that ability to bounce back, you know, people talk about resilience. Like for me, that's what resilience is, being able to weather things and think, okay, Maybe this is a bit of feedback. I'm going to do something else. So I think it's the resilience comes from reflection, really. So it's, it's like building a muscle. So as long as you reflect on why things happened and you can learn from it, then you, be, you become resilient because you've got a plan to move forward. And it may happen again. You don't like, I won't fail my HSE again. But I might start another business that has different learnings for me. You know what I mean? So. But as, if it's a learning and it doesn't cost you too much money, yeah, true. Uh, then, yeah. It's, I like uh, that word flurning for that. It's like failure and learning. It's, it's not a failure. It's a flurning. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you failed. <laughs> I love it. Like your mum and dad are the sort of people that can really bring you back down to earth. They'd be like, so did you lose money? You'd be like, yeah. That was a big flurning, <laughs> a costly yeah. one. It's only is re reduce your investment and try and be as agile as you can. But as I said before, speak to the market, speak to people. Yeah.
And I think that's emotional as well. That's like an emotional and find out like that. It's like you can be all in with something, but also be a little bit detached from that. Okay, if this doesn't work, this isn't the only thing that's going to define me. I can I can yeah, move on too, from this. Yeah, me too, Blinkered. And I think one of the, the best things about doing that KPI course was they had an accountability group. So there was people I was working with that had different businesses. One was like a relocations expert for, you know, expats. One was how to travel with kids without tears. Another one was a personal trainer. And and I think we all came at each other's businesses really differently. And I'm in advertising and marketing and I would we'd catch up every week and go to the pub and just talk about our challenges of our businesses. And they would say something to me, which was so obvious from a marketing perspective, but I just hadn't thought about it. So I think really leaning on people around you and talking about it gives you so much of a different perspective, just because they don't know your category or industry doesn't mean they could be a dog owner or their friend's got a dog or they travel. So their insight is very different to what yours is. Yeah, and I think you, you're so open to feedback and to listening to other people, but also you listen and then you move on and do, do what you think is right. Thank you yeah. so much for speaking to me today, Gareth. It's lovely to – I've found out, even though you're my business partner, I had no idea that you failed your HSC. Yeah. And you have still gone on to be a hugely successful but really rounded person. You're my business partner, my friend, and thank you so much for being my first podcast guest too. Oh, no problems. Thank you very much for having me as your first podcast guest. I feel very privileged. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Behind the Mind. Subscribe if you'd like to hear more episodes. Connect with Meredith via email, behindthemind at becausexm.com.